0: Oh boy, do I have an episode for you guys! It's your pal Sig Neutron here, and today I have a special guest, Disasterina, one of my dearest, dear friends. Uh, If you don't know Disasterina, uh, you may know her from Dragula uh, Season 2. Also, uh, she does very many wacky YouTube videos on her YouTube channel, but... Man, I'm so stoked. We got, uh, this conversation was great. We really, I think you get to see a, uh, a different side of Disasterina that m- maybe Disasterina fans haven't gotten to see yet. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy, because I had a lot of fun uh, talking with the Athuina. I'm Signeutron, and this is Signeutron Sputron.
1: Signeutron. <laughs> uh-huh. Sputron,
0: Signeutron Disasterina, thank you so much for joining me.
1: I, I, I ruined it already. Can we start over? <laughs> sure. Let's start over! Sorry about that. Okay, take two. I'll be better at this time. I'll be better. Okay. Disasterina,
0: <sighs> thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I love being here. I love you, Sig, and I can't wait to tell everybody about me, 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 me! <laughs>
0: Oh man, I've been wanting to do this for a while now. It's, uh, yeah, like ever since, actually like since I started the podcast and I started having guests, I wanted to have you on here.
1: Well, I'm glad that I, uh, relented and I lowered my rate for you. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> it's scraping by here at Sputron Studios. <laughs> oh man, so, uh, if you guys don't know Disaster Arena, um... You're stupid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, you... Man, you have been doing, like, so so many things. And uh, just... It's been so cool to have known you for so long and seen the evolution of Disaster Arena. That's
1: right. You knew me before Disaster Arena. I
0: sure did. I did. (laughs) So, well, let's... You know, I always like to start with uh, what what my guests were like as a kid, and I can't, honestly, I can't wait to to hear what, what was Disasterina like as a kid? Were you into art? Were you?
1: Well, I have the real story, and I have the fake story. The fake story, sort of, it's kind of like um, the synopsis of Escape from Witch Mountain. Okay. Which I use for for people and sometimes I catch them believing me, but <laughs> I used that on the James St. James um, transformations and it was pretty funny. Nice. Uh, and he, it's interesting, you know, when I started mentioning like the synopsis, he actually got it. Oh, really? He was like, Is that the plot from <laughs> Escape from Witch Mountain? And I'm like, What? How did you know that? And it's like, Oh, okay, we're the same age roughly. So you probably saw it as a kid like I did. Yeah. So, I I won't confuse everybody out there with a fake story. I'll give you the real story. (laughs) As a kid, I was, mm, I was alternately super happy and joyful and playful and extremely shut down and afraid of everything. Mm. So, when I was comfy, I would be playing out in the yard, you know, with my friends I had a couple of friends who grew up on my street and we played ball or hide and go seek or I don't know, stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was not comfortable, um, I would completely shut down and not say a word to anybody. I would cry. If I lost my pencil, dropped my pencil, I would start crying. Hmm. It was a really strange. Uh, you know. It was all about just comfort and feeling safe. And when I wasn't safe, it wasn't good. And when I was safe, it was it was okay. But uh, it took me a long, long, long time to sort of get out of that mode.
0: Hmm. Was the when you say safe? Was it sort of like centered around like the home thing? Like did you not really like to venture outside of your house, or was it just like a?
1: I think it was just. um, I did like to venture outside my house because I remember going to Walt Disney World, Mm -hmm. and that was a whole lot of fun. You know, I was with my family, so I felt safe. Felt comfy, but, you know, going to stuff like school. Mm. School was terrifying to me for some reason. It was something about new people, new situation, could not deal with it. Mm. So when I went to, um, there was a series of schools where I just completely shut down. It was like, you know, preschool. Mm -hmm. I didn't say a word. I was there for, I don't know how long, but it wasn't long because my parents realized he's not going to do nothing. He's not saying nothing. He's not playing. He's not... Let's get him out of there. It's not working. So Mm -hmm. then it was Sunday school. I didn't say anything. And then it was kindergarten. I didn't say anything for three weeks. I was sitting in the corner crying for three weeks. And the kindergarten teacher, Miss Sturm, thought I was retarded. Wow. And she actually called my mother at some point and said... You know, I'd like to talk to you, um I got some you know, something to show you about, you know, your your kid and we can talk about him and stuff like that. And my mom came down to the school and Miss Sturm showed her different pictures that Miss Sturm had me draw and one was a circle, one was a square, and one was a triangle and stuff like that, right? Uh Uh-huh. And um you know, Mr. was like, you know, he's doing so good. See, he's drawing a circle and a square and a triangle. And he seems to understand what those shapes are. And my mom's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God. My son is like an artist. And, you know, she shows the teacher, like, all these, like, cartoons and crazy scenes that I've been drawing, you know. And, you know, it was just, I had confused this teacher so much by being so completely shut down that she thought I was a you know, special needs wow. person, which I guess, you know, well, it seems logical that you think that if you know somebody refuses to even move a muscle, stop crying or anything. And you know, my best friend was there. Hmm. My best friend was there at kindergarten and I could not friggin' go over to the table where was, he was sitting and sit there and, and be happy. I couldn't do it. But eventually, I don't know how I got over it. But eventually, I got over that. Uh-huh. So it takes me a long time to get comfy with uncomfortable situations. Mm.
0: So maybe it's mainly a
1: social thing. Like, it's yes, yeah. yeah. It seems like it's a social thing. I'm extremely, extremely shy as a kid. Yeah, and really into adulthood. I, I mean, as not as disaster. in my boy form, I'm pretty shy. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't talk too much. Keep to myself. That sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, you know, the thing about Disasterina that's so compelling is that, you know, I get to step into a different character and be outgoing. And that is the secret mm, sexy dream of all introverts is to be an outrovert. Mm-hmm. Extrovert. Outrovert extrovert? <laughs> yeah. An outed extrovert. There you go. <laughs> and... That's why disaster is so intoxicating. I love it so much, just because I'm gonna be this wacky, crazy bitch get in people's face, say the stupidest fucking things, and they love it. They <laughs>
0: do. It's like man, there's you have to, like you just have, you've channeled this whirlwind of just like it, disasterina. I mean, like it's it, the name says it all. It's just like everything. You, it's just the whole vibe. You have like the schlock. You have the the I don't know the comedy this like a little bit of the sleaze and the trash and it's but it's all there and it's like it's just in this like endearing package that I just I can't get enough of
1: well I'm I'm glad you think so and I really enjoy doing it so that it makes what shows it's a self-perpetuating disaster Mm -hmm. because (laughs) I love doing it so much I do it a lot and then everybody else loves it and then it just gets worse and worse and worse for, you know, it's like an A-bomb.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because Rani uh, brings that up too. Is that, you know, she's pretty introverted. But when she's in a makeup, she actually really likes being... Having that uh, barrier between herself and the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like, it helps her show her more true self, you know.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a... It's it's also, you know, you're you're shielded by the makeup. You're shielded by the personality with me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of the personality because... I don't have to worry because Trainer knows exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Just be kooky and weird and everybody love you so you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about being smart. You don't have to be, you know, look attractive. You don't have to worry about knowing everything under the sun. You just have to be stupid. <laughs> and people gravitate to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's. I mean, like I said, you hit all the notes that are completely, like, just charming and endearing. I love it. It's so great. So... So you did do art as a kid?
1: I pooped out of my um, mommy's vag hole with a pencil <laughs> and crayons, and I hit the floor. And I had already come up with like a bunch of drawings before I hit the floor. Nice. It was just that was just natural to me, and so it was like you know little funny drawings. Early on, I was really into cartooning, uh-huh. and as a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. And my favorites were like you know, Charles Schultz and the Peanuts gang, and nice. What I was—I had, a, you know, the Sunday comics stuff huh. like, you know, Beetle Bailey, Wizard of Id, all that sort of thing. I was, like, big into that, and I wanted to be a cartoonist like that.
0: Oh, nice. So do you, uh, do you remember any particular characters or anything that you came up with? Or?
1: There was one I did. I tried to do, like, a farce um, superhero comic, I think, when I was, like, 10 or 11 or something, and one of the characters was Courageous Cluck. Nice. <laughs> And he would sort of like accidentally like save the day in the worst way possible. Like you know, he would be completely obliterated somehow, and the you know the the, the villain would like stub his toe on the way f- to the final punch, and then you know the villain would be so feel so you know uh, injured and you know just feel so under under the weather that they, turn itself in and stuff like that. It was just ridiculous farce. So really early on it was into just corny farce type stuff. What was the name again? Courageous Cluck.
0: Courageous Cluck. I, I think we need a Disasterina look based on Courageous Cluck. <laughs> Bring it back. Well, also. I
1: think I think Abora already did it. Oh, <laughs> I see. In the Alien episode. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, okay, so all right, so yeah, Dick, like, you're interested in art early on, uh, and then you finally like grew into being a little more comfortable in social circles. I mean, no. Well, <laughs> I mean, at least at man- a manageable level, I guess, or maybe not. I mean, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, every time every time I went to a new school, the first year was terror. I just didn't make any friends, didn't talk to anybody. Just, you know, in eighth grade, I got the nickname of Comatose. Oh, man. And that was because I just fucking clammed up. You know, seventh grade, I was with my friends. Eighth grade, I wasn't. I just stopped talking. And when I got into high school, that was another whole new building. And it was just terrified, of course. Mm -hmm. For high school, I was terrified like the first three years. Mm -hmm. And the fourth year, I was still terrified, but I still, you know, was able to, you know... Um, stop crying
0: yeah well high school is tough because that's when kids get mean like, yeah. like real mean mm-hmm. you know it's like one thing for a kid to like say something stupid to you but then it's like it's like kids will like ruin your entire life in yeah. high school <laughs> you know? kids
1: in, you know, in high school in particular are diabolical they'll do mm-hmm. these ridiculous awful things to you and I think my only defense for that was I was so shut down I wouldn't say anything so some you know kid would try to beat up on me and he'd be like and I would say nothing, wouldn't move. So I think they—it's almost like sort of like the possum effect. Mm-hmm. It's like the possum to get away from, you know, the wildcat or whatever, just plays dead. Mm-hmm. So it's just like stops in his tracks, is like a statue or something. And then the coyote is like, "What the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> I don't get it." So they just walk away. And I think that was my only. Sort of antidote the you know bullies in high school, was that I was so shut down, they didn't know how to make me feel more pain because obviously I, I was unable of doing anything, mm-hmm. probably even feeling pain.
0: Yeah, that's I. That was always my advice to kids too that were getting bullied. It's like you don't give them anything. They obviously want a reaction. If you mm-hmm. don't give them a reaction, then they got they got no payoff for their being mm-hmm. mean, and then they end up just feeling stupid. You yeah. know, it's like if you if you get nothing out of this kid, and then you're just like. Oh, okay. But then just
1: on to the next, you know? It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. Stupid kid is not even going to cry. Yeah. The stupid kid is not even going to wince in pain. The stupid kid is not going to say one fucking goddamn word. (laughs) All right, next. Yeah, next kid's going to get it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Next kid's going to get it twice as bad.
0: I wonder, I just, what do you think that is in humans that, like, why do we just have this inherent cruelty to us like in adolescence like do you think it, like, what do you think that stems from Hmm.
1: I think it's sort of finding you know everybody's learning Mm -hmm. even the stupid bullies are learning Mm -hmm. about everything during that time when they're growing up and they're worrying about social situations so it's like you know people want to be in the top of the social situation they want you know they want power they want control and how do they get it I mean I think it's different when you you're you're young. You try to get it whatever way you can. So cruelty is the cruelty is the way to get it. Then you do it. I think as an adult, hopefully that you calm down with that shit and figure some other things out. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, there's a, a sort. Of, I, I feel like it's the low hanging fruit to feel powerful or something, or like fulfillment in life. You know, what I mean, like exerting your dominance over someone else. Mm-hmm. And you know, when kids are young and they don't how to handle that, you know, it makes sense, I guess. I mean, I guess it is a part of our development. It's Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate, you know, but also, I mean, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just
1: going to say, like, dominance dominance is empty. I mean, there's nothing behind it. It's just, it's just a way to want to feel in control. And Mm there's nothing, there's no like intellectual thing behind it or anything like that. It's just empty. That's true.
0: And most people that uh, project this dominant, uh, you know, persona or, goal is there are some of the most like unstable people, like empty people, and mm-hmm. that's the only way they can find. Any well, they're
1: just single minded. So they're not, you know, not thinking about different options. I mean, it's it closes all the options when the the answer is only dominance. You have to get rid of everything else. Everything has to be, you know, in in your favor, the way you want it. And that limits everything in life, it limits spontaneity. Uh oh! What happened? Oh,
0: we're good. sorry. Um, yeah. No. And uh, shit, that made me lose my point. Um,
1: hmm. Something about dominance and going through life and. Uh,
0: yeah. Empty oh, dominance. just yeah. About how I think. Um, in a weird way, I feel like. That's the the fuel that that, uh, the pressure that creates diamonds in artists. You know, it's like everybody I've talked to, like they were the weird kid, and then you got you got so much shit for just trying to be yourself that it's like once you hit adulthood, you're like, well, I'm fucking like, I'm going to be myself. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it, it, it creates this fire in you. And I, you know, I guess, I don't know. Everything has a a purpose, I guess. (laughs) But
1: yeah, I think, you know, as an adult, I finally was able to sort of figure out how to be me. I think on the journey to that, there is some, some definitely some strange situations i remember in high school i i had i was terrified of everything but somehow you know i still wanted to individuate so i kind of stuck out like a sore thumb all my fashion was completely retro f- to the time nice. you know i was going through high school in the 80s and for some reason i decided i was going to have a 70s look nice. it wasn't even that i was going to have a 70s look it was just i saw certain fashions and because my mom taught me how to uh, use a sewing machine i started sewing my own things oh, and nice. i made my own giant bell bottoms oh that's awesome i made these crazy i would take like skinny jeans and i would just flare out the bottoms and make these bell bottoms that's amazing. and they were just what i was like what i wonder what the fuck they thought of me <laughs> It's like uh, everybody is like you know have their '80s fashions and everything, and then you know I had this sort of long unkempt hair and I had a jeans jacket. Well, a lot of people had jeans jackets, but I had like you know Pink Floyd The Wall painted on the back. <laughs> yes. well, I guess it? was I guess that was pretty typical. Did but, you paint
0: that on the back?
1: Yeah, actually, I uh, I painted a few jackets like that, and actually got hired to do this painting by Picasso called Guernica on somebody's back. Really. I actually painted that fucking thing on somebody's jeans jacket. Nice. And also, oh, that t- gives me another weird memory. I did it on the wall in the Spanish room. And because the wall of the Spanish room are like cinder blocks, right? There's, so there's a grid on it.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, and, yeah.
1: and that was the easiest mural I ever did. Maybe it was the only mural I ever did. But it was like the perfect Guernica. I was so proud of it. I was like, "This is exactly like this, you know, this this painting." And it was it was perfect. And it was, it was there for years. I don't know if it's still there, huh. but uh, I was really uh, really proud of that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And so I. All right. So now we're just getting a picture here. So like, yeah. You really you're attracted to fashion in high school and and starting to like make your own fashion. That's really cool. Yeah. Something about it's weird because. Yeah, like, me growing up, this was, like, before the internet hit, like, real hard. Like, we were, I was just on the cusp of, like, the internet becoming a thing, you know, when I was going through high school. But, like, it didn't seem like anybody was using it to, like, look up retro fashions or any kind of style. Like, nobody knew shit in Indiana mm-hmm. at that time. And, like, I was always drawn to, yeah, I went through a phase where, I like, I dressed like I was, like, a Vietnam War protester. Like, it was, <laughs> you know, I had, like, like, it's all about camouflage and, like, bandanas, like, super hippie-ish Um, there was a period I really loved bell bottoms. And then, uh, yeah, my idol was like Robert Smith from the cure. Mm, So I would just, I had like the craziest, like teased out hair and just wore red lipstick. Mm -hmm. And like people just did not fucking know what to do with me. Like, it's just just, like, they see you and it. it like breaks their brain or something. Right. right. (laughs) And that's
1: one thing I I learned as a child that I still use and still tend to go to is just, uh, confusing people. Mm Mm-hmm when you confuse people i figure finally figured out you they can't act so when you confuse people you're safe mm-hmm. so that is part of my art i think as part of my comedy is just like people like you say people don't know what the fuck <laughs> to do they're like they are afraid of you even uh-huh. if you know they're even maybe afraid you're gonna go over and touch them or do something to them, which is perfect for disasterina because disasterina will do that. I, I feel like every time I see,
0: if I didn't know disasterina, I would be I would be very like intimidated by disasterina.
1: I think that's that's really good. Yeah, and it's not just because you know I'm not into cruelty or anything like that, but it's just like. I just know the result is going to be really a good thing for the other person. I just know that you know I'm going to tease them or uh, make them chuckle or terrify them in the best possible way, not in a cruel way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like I love like good-hearted fuckery, you mm-hmm. know. And it's like um, the it's I I always like I'm such a huge fan of like the wild card archetype. Like I love. The people that you just don't know what they're going to do next Mm -hmm. you know and it's like you've cultivated that and it's really great because yeah I'm always like what's she gonna do what's she gonna do next you know and it's 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 exciting and like that that's attractive to people because it's like you keep them on their toes and they just they want to be around you because they want to see what you're going to do next and I think it's like really cool that you just you can cut loose you know and just do whatever it almost makes me want to like start a persona because like you know it's like I think it's, I think when, through personas, I think we explore different parts of ourselves. then mm-hmm. um, this is, like, like why I like D&D so much. It's, like, all of my characters that I create and I play, they're a part of me. And I'm just, like, exploring that part of my personality mm-hmm. through that character.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Whatever character you do, it really is you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really escape it. I mean, you're doing, you could be doing, like, you know. I don't know, like a Civil War reenactment or something, you know, Robert E. Lee or whatever, but, you know, it's still, you know, Sig Neutron Mm -hmm. as, you know, the general of the South. (laughs) So it's, that is really compelling part of doing characters, and that's why I like to do, it's almost like acting, you know, it's just sort of like you can get little parts of your personality that can't get out otherwise, you know, I'm never going to be outgoing as my boy self, but as Disaster in you know, a well. I can do it pretty good, mm-hmm. and I have no fear.
0: That's kind of how I felt. Uh, suck MC. I forgot. I did have a persona, and mm-hmm. I just sort of abandoned. I should. We, that which reminds me, we got to start up that collaborative song. Oh, something. I love to. Yeah, like, and
1: I don't think abandon is the right word. You know, creative people—they've got all sorts of different projects coming all the time. That's true. And they have you know ideas coming all the time. It's like you know when you're. I mean, I'm sure you experience this all the time when you're right in the middle of a project, which is like really uh, engrossing and everything. Then you just take a little rest or whatever and another idea pop into your head. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I got to do that right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, but I'm working on this other stupid project. Okay, I'm going to stop doing this project. I'm going to do that one.
0: Yo, It's like it's like playing whack-a-mole with ideas, man. <laughs> like, I, I'm so guilty of that. And it's like... I almost... Yeah, I wonder that, too. Like, I suffer from an abundance of ideas because...
1: I think it suffer is the right word. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, my God, I can't do everything. <laughs> yep, As yep. an artist, you're like, oh, what am I going to do? I can only do five of the tw- 2,000 things that I want to do. It's you know. only 24 hours in a
0: day? What?
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's torture.
0: Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but, like, it honestly, like... Especially now that I'm really trying to buckle down and, like, focus on my art. It's, like, ah, oh, so many ideas. And then I, then I find myself, like, I sort of organize them by how involved they are. Like, I'll do the simpler ones first. And then, like, and then I have some, like, long-term projects running in the background, mm-hmm. you know, that I'll work on here and there. Um, but... I don't know. My my mantra for this uh, year is until the spaghetti
1: sticks.
0: (laughs) I'm just throwing that shit on the wall and then waiting for it to... And Mm -hmm. then we're going to have some pasta dinner.
1: (laughs) 10 minutes, one, two. You got to have 11.
0: (laughs) It's fucking al dente. (laughs)
1: Wait till 11. Turn it to 11.
0: (laughs) So, so, cool. All right. So, like, super... uh, yeah, so that's high school. So now, uh, where do we go from high school? Did you go to... I went
1: to art school. Nice. I went to Washington, D.C., the Corcoran School of Art. And uh, that was really eye-opening because I grew up in a small town which was um, just like the suburb of the suburbs. It was just on the outskirts of the big suburbs in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was far enough away from Chicago that I really didn't know much about... Chicago, we just, our family would go and see a museum once in a while, see a ball game or something like that, but, so I was a, you know, small town, a kid, and there was no culture in my town, there's no different kind of people, mm-hmm. there's nothing. So, I totally relate to that. And uh, I guess I just decided, well, I want to go to some place that has culture, some place more interesting, so I went to Washington, D.C., and, you know, when I was growing up and in, in my town, there were no African Americans at all, mm. nothing. And there was maybe two or three Latino families. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were some Bohemians Mm -hmm. from the Czech Republic, you know, some old ladies and stuff. But that was the only kind of different culture that was going on Mm -hmm. where I was growing up. So it was totally eye-opening to go to Washington, D.C. and all the different kind of people and just like all the friends at art school were from all over the place. All different kinds of cultures and religions and looks and... You know, sexualities and stuff. So it was like a sensory overload in the best possible way. It was just oh wow, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is where I should have been all along. And it just I gravitated toward it real, real quick, mm-hmm. super quick.
0: Do you feel like uh, being in a place where you felt that it was like much more lively and cultured? Do you, do you feel like that opened you up a little bit?
1: Definitely, yeah. definitely big time because I felt. You know, I was around a lot of artistic people, right, in art school. So art people are a little different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, they, um, they had different ideas and different, like different looks, and you know, into strange music, and you know, everything was just like a new adventure. I knew very eye-opening, and um, it was it was great. I, I loved it.
0: I think that's that's real important and it's like a, a message that i try to promote too because yeah coming from a small town and not being very misunderstood well, being very misunderstood is that it's really important that you find your tribe you know mm-hmm. in like in these because you'll find little pockets of people that are just as weird as you are and those people you know you need them for support but yeah man when i moved to la i had the same aha moment of like oh my god this is where i needed to be all along you know it's mm-hmm. just like I could walk down the street and you know not be called like a faggot every five seconds. You mm-hmm. know, it's like that was it was like that was my life growing up, and it's just like people are just so fucking cruel, man. Like grown ass men, mm-hmm. like, and it's like I can't even imagine what's going through these people's heads to like give some. I can't even imagine like walk, watching some like sixteen year old kid walk down the street just like enjoying themselves, loving their life, expressing themselves, and then like me just trying to shit on this person. Mm-hmm. Like it's like this is absurd, man. It's like, I, but then it's like. You know, now that I'm t- doing a lot of self-reflecting and stuff, and I realize it's just those people are so unhappy. Like mm-hmm. they're truly, like I, I'm trying to cultivate compassion for humanity, and even though it's the people say shitty things, it's I, it's they're really unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know, is what it boils down to. Yeah. And you know, so. I, and you know,
1: sort of like you know, abuse perpetuates abuse absolutely, too. Yeah. So it's like you know, what was uh, was that kid getting beaten up in the house or whatever. Is that why he's going out and beating up on everybody else? So, mm-hmm. Not necessarily so, but it's one way to sort of like have empathy for other people mm-hmm. who are mean.
0: I think, yeah, and I think some stems too from, uh, I think people want to be their truest self, but so many people let society tell them who to be. Mm-hmm. And I think when people see people living their, you know, their truth, they, they want to lash out because it's secretly deep down they're kind of jealous that mm-hmm. they, they can't be that bold
1: I don't think it's that deep down. I think it's true, I think yeah. it's just below the, below the surface. It's like, you know, when you're, you know, mm, that incendiary about things like that, it's just got to be percolating real 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 uh, real near the surface mm, in my view.
0: That's why I think, you know, like moving forward as a society, I think in all areas of life and all over the country, we need to like encourage that creative expression, man. Mm-hmm. It is so wildly important for people. And I always talk about it. It's like, what are the first programs to get cut from schools? It's the fucking arts programs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you wonder why everybody's so fucking unhappy. It's because like art makes life worth living,
1: you know? It's true. Everything is art. Everything we're looking at right here was designed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm here in this house. And I'm looking at all this stuff, all these beautiful paintings. And then, you know, just the, the house itself had to be designed by an architect. who was sort of an artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the artisans or whatever did all the you know the work in here. And, you know, it's like there's certain paint on the wall and had, I had an artistic eye to do that and mm-hmm. you know everything is designed and, and made and we can't live without artists mm-hmm.
0: well also I mean look at it this way too it's like when people say, Oh, I'm not creative, I wish I could do that and it's like if you're alive, you're creative. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what, you have since the day you were born, or you can remember, you have created the persona that is you. Mm-hmm. You are creating yourself. Right. And, and it is all based on your own actions mm-hmm. and your own choices. So you can make any different choices at any time. There's right. nothing stopping you to you know.
1: I think a part of you know, nobody People out there, you know, if you're not artistically inclined, you don't have to be Picasso, or whatever. I think you just have to be open. Mm-hmm. And I think being open to different ideas and different, you know, artwork and different cultures and stuff like that is is a creative part of the mind. I yeah. mean, you are being creative. And you can appreciate appreciating art, appreciating culture, appreciating writing, whatever, music. I think that's being creative. Mm hmm. Because yeah. you're allowing it to happen
0: mm-hmm. you're you're experiencing it and yeah. you're you're connecting in that moment with the art, which is what it's for mm-hmm. and art it really truly takes you somewhere else, man like if you really people i think take music for granted, especially It's like the easiest example it's like mm-hmm. when I listen to music it's a it's a transcendental experience like I go places listening mm-hmm. to music, it makes me feel all sorts of ways and it's like it, that's magic,
1: you know whenever I listen to music, I always um, envision me in some sort of scenario with yep. the music. Oh, man, like, you do that? Yeah, it's oh. either like I'm, you know, in a rock band playing the, you know, the song or whatever, or I'm in a music video, or, you know, doing something to the song like really stupidly heroic or something. <laughs> dude, that's <laughs> awesome! Like I do that All too. All the time. Ever since
0: I was a kid, that was mm-hmm. like, th- dude, that's so crazy. Like I didn't know anybody else does that, but it was like. Every song that I would hear would immediately create a film in my mind. And Especially
1: I would like, favorite songs. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, So it's not just any song, I guess, but it's songs that you really love the most. Then you, you, that makes you makes you creative.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, most of the scripts that I write, I, I like, I write scenes to songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I'm writing a script right now, and like every scene, I write in which song should be playing during. Mm-hmm. this, And it's just like it's it's powerful man and it's like if you if you zoom that lens out it's like the music sounds good because the math works out and then there's a, you, you ties into all the sacred geometry and the structure of like just photons and light and it's like all of these things in geometry is structuring sound and frequency and stuff mm-hmm. the, it's like but it's, it's well, that's like what
1: like. music is, is is organized frequencies mm-hmm. and um i mean that's You know, at its purest form, it's just a bunch of waves. Mm -hmm. And somehow, when you uh, you vary these waves and you combine them, you can create an environment. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm.
0: Dude, did you did you know this? That all of our modern instruments now we tune it to four hundred and forty hertz. But we Didn't used to that. tune to 432 hertz, hmm. which 432 hertz is like a master number. It's like a solfeggio frequency. Huh. So there's like, once you, if you use that number, you get like the circumference of the moon, the circumference of the sun, all these weird like mathematical things start making mm-hmm. sense. And like all these harmonics come out of using the number 432. And, uh, but for some reason, we've decided to universally tune it just a little bit off. Hmm. So I'm wondering, and like people have theories that it's like some government conspiracy to just like kind of like keep us like a little bit off kilter, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't know, man, That could possibly like when everything else used to be tuned to like a perfect harmony and now we're just like right. a little bit off for some reason.
1: Well, it's interesting because it what that does, it creates a little bit of dissonance. Mm-hmm. So you have um, what and what does that di- dissonance do? It's interesting to think about maybe the dissonance is is something that will make you spend more money or you you make you a little more edgy or Mm -hmm. I don't know if something like that is like conscious like all of a sudden you know oh we're gonna turn it up to this uh, number and then the whole world will collapse (laughs) I think it's just a lot of these things are just sort of for some weird reason it happens this way also you have to look at it in terms of the elapsing of time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the past we did four thirty-two. Now we're doing four forty. What's going to be in the future? It might be a wave. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're going to go back down to four thirty-two, then to four forty again, and that's the wave. You know, that's true. Yeah. Or maybe just the mean is four thirty-two.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's a, there is like. A and we're on movement. one
1: of the pick. Pe- we're on one of the peaks right now. That's
0: true. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like yeah, the wave pattern is like a very. Interesting pattern that permeates from our DNA to also like you know like societies rising mm-hmm. and collapsing and things And,
1: yeah just sort of like you know the the whole um, movement of ev- everything right everything's moving so the earth is moving the sun is moving and like you know the the molecules of the air are moving around and everything like that and I think you know what humans tend to like to do is to entrain themselves to other sort of you know. Uh, things like, you know, different, mm, different harmonies and what, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, really movement is all there is. It was like, you could say time is just movement. I'm standing here and now I'm standing over here, mm-hmm. you know, as like, I just moved. That was the only time doesn't really even exist. It's just a concept. But you know. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's
1: all, it's kind of freaky to be, you know, alive and to have a brain that can understand just a little bit of everything like that, you know, mm-hmm.
0: I, th- I think it's exciting. And I think it's like it, it's. To me, it's like we're obviously living a mystery that like there's a reason why we don't know what we are, and I think it's because we're supposed to figure it out. And I think art is the closest tool that can put us to figuring out who and what we are, mm-hmm. because you know, as when you create, it's there's something inexplicably magical about creating
1: anything. Well, you know, it's when everybody who is artistic creates, they are doing it because they're inspired, and that is sort of perpetuating this sort of echo of creativity throughout the throughout the universe. You know, it started at the big bang, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So um I, I totally completely love that idea. <laughs> and that's why I'm really happy that people like disasterina so much because you know, people will be like, "Oh, I love you so much. Oh, you know, I you know, watched the show or I, you know, saw one of your paintings or you know, I saw your I listened to your song or whatever and it really inspired me." It's like that makes me feel the best
0: yeah there's there's nothing like uh I mean creating something is is one thing but to get feedback from another human being that you inspired them to create themselves it's like man there's like I don't know if there's any like there are a few things that are as cool as that you Mm -hmm. know what I mean Mm -hmm. like it's I always love hearing that I'm an inspiration to someone because I think back when I was younger and or at any age, you know, and I think of the things that inspire me, and I have such reverence for those things, you mm-hmm. know, and it's it's cool to do things that inspire other people.
1: Yeah, I know. And I think it's sort of... That's another really happy thing for me about Disasterina is that she has um, gained this sort of, you know, micro-fame, I guess you could say, just, you know, n- notable enough that people will recognize her and know about her this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not... You know, a megalomaniac. I'm. I'm not really. You know, narcissistic or anything like that. But it is really um, invigorating to have people come up and say, or just you know, text me or go on IG and message me and and be like, you know, you inspire me or this or that. Because for me, uh, it means that I am fulfilling what I really want to do. I want to inspire people, and I want to. You know. Have them be happy and and creative and and, you know laugh or whatever, and that's the the input. That is the proof that it's happening out there. Before I did disasterina, I was I mean I've been an artist all my life, but there was a point at which I was doing sort of fine art, trying to get into galleries, doing installations and all sorts of different things, and I could never quite get any sort of foothold to any sort of scene could never quite get, I wouldn't say fame, but I just wanted to get a little appreciation. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know that people liked my art and were getting inspired. And I always felt like I was not a failure, but I never thought I was successful as an artist because I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And then when Disasterina rolled around, lo and behold, there it had come. And so now that is very fulfilling for me as an artist to know that people out there are happy and inspired by what I do. Mm-hmm.
0: And then that kind of brings me back to what I was saying like it was so cool to see the evolution, your artistic evolution, because I saw you try many different things. And what's cool is because I you know, I look at a lot of life like the alchemical process. And I think it's part of the creative experimentation is a key part of the artistic process, because you have to explore an avenue, and then if it didn't work out, what's your favorite parts of that? And you take that away and then you leave the what didn't work and then you take your favorite parts onto the next thing and then Mm -hmm. you keep doing this until you keep shedding the stuff that didn't work and then you keep until finally you have this product and then Mm -hmm. that was Eno was born and you know, it's like, I, I saw everything that you were trying to do, and it just all came together and gelled in Disasterina, and that was, like, really cool to see.
1: It's funny the way it happened because, <clears throat> like I said, I was sort of trying, banging my head against a wall for years as an artist, trying to get out there into, people, into people's retinas, you know, with my artwork, and it wasn't really happening. And there's one point that I just was, like, tired of... Um, I went to... I did this little um, art blog... And I would go to these little shows and stuff and and do a little blog about it. And it was kind of fun, you know, my little opinion about this art or that art. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was trying to get into galleries of meeting people, you know, trying to be social with different gallerists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't feel like I was really getting anywhere. And I had just been offered a show that somebody rescinded for some weird reason. And I was sort of like crabby. And I went to this one art show. And in the basement, there was an installation. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll do a little blog about this one. And I walked down there. And it was an empty basement, except for one corner had like a piece of wood that was sort of like in a little nook leaning against the wall. And then there was a little plaque over there. And the plaques was like explaining, you know, what the art piece was and everything like that. And after that, I decided, you know, I'm absolutely fucking done with this shit. (laughs) I don't know who I'm trying to impress. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to shape the artwork I'm doing to get into these stupid fucking places I wouldn't want to get to anyway. Because look at what they're fucking displaying. A, A piece of wood in a fucking basement. It's like, do I really have to, you know, glad hand and just sort of like, you know, suck dick to get in this fucking gallery? And I was like, fuck this shit. And I actually quit doing art. Mm. I've been, you know, doing art for years and years, decades, right? Mm -hmm. And I was all of a sudden, fuck it, I'm done. And I was just really crabby about everything. And then, you know, I was bumping around. I was like, what are we doing now? And I really did, you know, stop doing art for like six months, like almost a year. And then I was like, i got to do something, I guess. And I remembered I had all these like little fun little skits that I wrote um, in the past. I never did anything with because you can't do anything humorous in art. <laughs> in the art scene, you won't be respected. It can't be funny, right? <laughs> and that's why I love Banksy so much. But anyway, so I had all these little skits. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do one of these skits, right? I'll, just, I'll get an actor or two, you know. You know, I'll just write a script and have actors do this funny little skit. And I just, you know, put it on YouTube. So I started a little comedy channel on YouTube called Coastless on Fire. And um, I started writing and I started, you know, set design and directing and, and all that stuff. I did everything but acting. And it was doing really good. And then I figured out, oh, you know, it's a lot easier to, you know, act yourself rather than to try to find the perfect person if you already really know what the perfect thing you want is Mm -hmm. so that's when I started doing characters and one of the characters turned out to be disasterina because you know at the time my uh, wife and I Ave Rose we were hugely into um, drag race RuPaul's drag race Mm -hmm. and very inspired by her and you know Ave's like no you got to do a drag queen you got to do a drag queen I'm like oh okay that's kind of interesting. Uh, maybe I'll do that. And then I did this one video. It was called, oh, it was like a fashion spoof video. And it was called Very Boy Fall Fashions. And I think that's still on the channel. Uh-huh. And I did a character called Groofs, who was uh, um, an aging German supermodel. <laughs> and this is, I came up with this ridiculous line of clothing. And... Um, And it was this big funny spoof, and it went real good. And it was like the first time I'd really had done a character in drag. And from there, I decided, well, you know, uh, uh, I'll do sort of like a a tongue-in-cheek vlog. Kind of a real and not a real vlog at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it was The Adventures of Disasterina, you know. And I was... I sort of like documented all the things I was learning in drag because I was a baby queen. I didn't know fucking shit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do my own makeup. And in one of the videos, I think the first video I did after the um, the grooves thing was me going to a makeup artist to get drag makeup. Mm. And she did that drag makeup on me, and I did a funny little like you know vlog about it. And um, I just started doing those, and from there it just. From there I got laid off. <laughs> and I'm like, What the fuck do I do? And Ave Bless her heart. She was like, You know, I'm making a pretty good amount of money right now. Why don't you just dive in and do what you fucking want for once? I'm like, Okay. And that's when I really got obsessed with doing drag. And from there the the Boules noticed me and they, you know, they asked me to uh, audition for their show. Oh nice. And I did, and I got on the show, and that's really the, you know, the genesis of Disaster and you know, all that is because I sort of, you know, just pissed off with worrying about other people's expectations and worrying about, you know, having to get an, into a, a social scene, and I just did what I wanted to and had fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's... Uh it's great because like just hearing that it it would make such a great like film like a biopic on disaster arena it's like it's like it it hits all the notes like you just you see this like fucking basement shit and it's like you know it's like I've had that moment too it's like what the fuck do people want you know it's Mm -hmm. like as an artist you feel like you're pulling your fucking hair out sometimes it's like you try so many things and then it's like if nothing's sticking it's like I just I don't know, man. And then you got these fuckers like taping bananas to walls and selling it for yeah, like yeah. fucking insane amounts of money. And mm-hmm. it's like the modern art thing is like a whole—that's
1: a whole nother crack
0: into. But it's like basically it's all bullshit. It and is. It's, it's who you know, and you know who wants to inflate your idea of whatever. But you know,
1: I think it's um, <clears> it's an it's an elitist social scene, and I think it's all about um, buying a ticket. Yeah, into that scene. Yeah, so you have these intellectuals, whatever, who have the most you know famous artists on the walls and everything like that. So when people buy this stupid art that is approved by these stupid rich people, you can't even get your art into one of these galleries unless it is approved, sanctioned by rich elite people. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. Yeah, and you know, in order to be in part of this elite group, what do you do? Well, you buy the banana for a million dollars what that gives you is a, a ticket it gives you a ticket into the club yep. and the club is the stupid elite art club mm-hmm. the stupid elite art club of people who can afford to buy a million dollar banana yeah and, and that's what it all it, it amounts to
0: yep it's it's rich people who aren't creative but they want to feel like they're part of a scene and then nobody wants to be they want to
1: feel elite they want to feel intellectually superior to other people Mm
0: -hmm. yeah because that's that's what it really boils down to is that you have this piece say you tape a fucking banana to a wall and then you have somebody like it means this it's so this it's that and then it's like then you got all these rich people that don't want to be like that's fucking bullshit and then they'd be like Cause you don't want to be the one that doesn't get it. You don't want to mm-hmm. be hip. Like you, you don't want to devalue your opinion. So you just go along with this. Like are like oh yeah, no, I'm trendy. I'm hip. I get it, mm-hmm. and I got this money, so I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna, hey. yeah, like see, I see how much I get it. I'll spend a million dollars on it because I mm-hmm. get it that much. You know, or even so, not
1: get it, or even admit you don't get it, but it's like oh, I'm gonna buy this fucking million dollar banana because I want to get into this elite yep. scene of these people.
0: You yep. know, and I, th- I think. I think as artists and for all the listeners and stuff too, like never let that scene get you down. It is it's it's just a bullshit rich people scene. They're Mm -hmm. trying they're trying to DIY people
1: out there. Yeah. Fuck (laughs) the galleries. Exactly. Do it yourself. Yeah,
0: agreed. So yeah, like don't don't look at that, never get discouraged. It's uh there's no creation in that. It's just Art
1: is a matter of personal interest right it's a it's a it's a personal like uh it's just your point of view whatever you like mm-hmm. it's like you know i like that so i i'm gonna get it mm-hmm. what it's a million dollars okay i can't afford it all right i'll get that art i like which is like 20 bucks i can afford that barely
0: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't matter that one is a million one is twenty dollars It's just whatever you like yep, you know exactly it's all a matter of personal taste mm-hmm
0: yeah, that's why we have different. That's why we're different people is to have different opinions and have different experiences of things. Mm-hmm. So the boules did they see your videos? Is that how they found you?
1: Well, or... it was. Oh, the boules met <clears throat> me at uh, drag con. So I was doing this ridiculous uh, drag character, and I thought, oh well, I'll go to drag and I'll bring my little selfie stick, and I'll do like interviews with all these like uh, you know famous queens from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and I interviewed Pandora Box, and what else did I do? I got, um, oh, that's where I met uh, Victoria Victoria Elizabeth Black. I I met her that year at DragCon, did a little interview with her, and um, who, I can't remember at this point. You just go to my fucking YouTube and figure it out. (laughs) But I met some people, and I did a little funny little vlog video, and then... I saw the Boulez there, and I knew them from Black Unicorn, which is a party they did for New Year's, like the the year maybe like six, six months earlier or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, there, there's the Boulez. I love the Boulez. And I go up to them, and or maybe they go up to me. Anyway, we're together somewhere, and I'm like, hey, can I do a little funny little interview with you? And I'm like, okay. And uh, you know, you can see that interview the first time I met them. Is recorded well, in, I in, a, in Electrons, I haven't seen it. and it's on, is it on Coast Lots of Fire, or is it on Disasterina? I'm not sure which YouTube channel it's on, but it's on one of them, and just go and search it and look at it. I think it's t- 2016, Drake, <clears throat> in LA, not sure, but we had a fun little conversation, and after it, um, Swan says, you know, whatever it is you do, do it. you are invited to do it at our club. And I think they were confused because, (laughs) you know, I was not looking like everybody else at the drag con, right? I was, you know, my eyebrows were not really on fleek. Actually, they were on fleek. But I was dressed like a stewardess who had been in a plane crash. So (laughs) I had like these burned up, tattered clothes. And I was wearing like a a flotation device. (laughs) And it was actually like vintage stuff from actual real airplanes. Oh, nice. And I was a stewardess. Mm -hmm. and, And... I just... You know, half of my face was like all blood splattered and everything. And they're like... They must have thought, what? Whoever this is, whatever she's doing, let's get her over at the club. And so... It didn't occur to me to do a live show like other drag artists do. Mm -hmm. Because I was doing vlogging at the time. I was doing a video. I was a video queen. Mm. So I decided, well, I will do a little funny video at Queen Kong. And I took my... Equipment down there, and they helped me and everything. And then I just did interviews with people under the guise of being an investigative reporter. <laughs> so I was like, I went into into the club. I was like, these lascivious people, these disgusting lunatics. Is you know these are it's it's uh it's eroding the the moral fiber of the youth. So I was like giving these people all these leading questions, sort of like you know, what's it like being. A depraved sex addict, <laughs> and I was getting all these, <laughs> all it. these really funny answers and everything, and I put the video together, and it and it, it turned out pretty good, and that was the first thing I did at, at, you know. But I realized that was extremely difficult, because dealing with like just a multitude of drunk people at this crazy club, oh my god, so exhausting. <laughs> yeah, but I made it through the day, and then from there I decided, you know. Just just do it the way everybody else does. <laughs> just go up on stage and do the lip sync and have fun. And then that's really when I started to... The bullies started to take notice of me because every time I would do something, it would be very elaborate. It would be like this whole story involved with it. Sometimes it would be kind of like horror. Sometimes it would be like just this trash, trashy farce, just slapstick comedy or whatever. And they got to, I think, see that i was super artsy fartsy and and i was like a comedy bitch Mm -hmm. and i think they they thought oh but i would my guess is they thought i would make kind of like a good comedy person for season two so they asked me to um to audition which i did
0: nice and then that leads us to dragula which uh you were on season two and also for the listeners you have to check it out. It's on Netflix now, so there's no excuse for you not to watch it.
1: That's right. Netflix, bitch. Mm-hmm. So, I'm somebody now. <laughs> You're not on Netflix? Oh, whatever. <laughs> I am. I'm am somebody.
0: <laughs> so, um, how long had you been doing Disasterina before you went on Dracula?
1: Hmm. I was a bit of a baby queen, actually, <clears throat> because, you know, I did the audition, I think, in the summer of 2017. I met the Boulez in, like, May of 2016. I had been doing drag maybe, like, off and on for a year. Mm. But I hadn't been doing any performances. The only performances I had been doing were on Freak Show. Tuesday Thomas Mm. has, at the time, had a video show. She does a stage show now. Mm. But it's, like, a kind of a a wacky comedy show that involves a lot of, like, different kind of performance. Sometimes there's, like, stand-up comedians. Sometimes there's, like, like f- actual freak show acts, like people, you know, nailing giant spikes into their nose and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just a uh, just crazy assortment of sort of out-there comedy. And um, I guess I met Tuesday at uh, this thing called the Clown House, which was, like, a comedy, little... Fun little comedy place downtown, mm-hmm. and um, so I invited myself. I didn't invite myself. I, I I asked her, you know, hey, you know, if you're doing something, you know, please include me. Blah 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 blah. And she did, and I got on her uh, on her show. It was like a, it was a I guess it was was a, g- a cable show. I think it might have been cable access, hmm. which became a YouTube show. Nice. Anyway, but it was live performance to, you know people out there watching mm-hmm. so it wasn't like a real audience or anything in, in the studio mm-hmm. and that was good because I, I didn't really want to I wasn't really thinking about performance and she asked me to perform and I'm like oh well you know why not that's you know that's a good way to get out there and stuff mm-hmm. instead of sitting there and just only doing video it's like oh I got to d- diversify get out there and get in front of people's eyeballs and stuff like that so mm-hmm. that's when I started doing the live stuff.
0: Nice. So, what, um, man? So, being a new queen and going pretty fairly early on in your career into a competition drag show, were mm-hmm. you nervous?
1: You know, I had a mixture of emotions because I am part of a reality TV show family, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're basically my brother-in-law's sake. So, yeah. uh, my wife had been on one called Steampunked. You were on two of them yeah. um, on you know, Face Off twice mm-hmm. um, and then through Face Off I had all these other friends that were your friends from the show so I knew probably dozens of people who were my friends who had been you know on these shows and I had you know grilled them about it and they talked about it and what it was like and everything so I thought I've got a leg up on all these fucking queens in here mm-hmm. so this is going to be no problem it's going to be a complete cinch. You know, I know exactly how to act. I know exactly what to do. Uh, I'm going to fucking slay it. And it didn't quite turn out that way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did have a little impor- important experience and info through that other people didn't have, mm-hmm. which I thought did help me on the show. Mm-hmm. But when I got onto the show... Um, when they start the cameras rolling and everything like that, it was intimidating. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's, I guess it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be in my head, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's different when the camera's on you, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's nerve-wracking, and you have to perform, and you have to you have to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it took me a, while, a little while in that show to sort of get going. Mm-hmm. Tito Soto was uh, one of the producers at the time, I remember, uh Tito talking to me about you know first of all about the um sort of the boudoir scenes Mm -hmm. where I would not say that much because it was all about drama yeah and Tito would come up to me after you know filming one of these and and be like you know disasterina you know you're you're not protecting out there you know you sort of you know uh you're not saying a lot and and you know I you know I just want you to be you know more part of the show and everything and part of that was, like, um, a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. But another part of it was drama does not work with me. It's, like, mm-hmm. completely disconnect. Yeah. I did not understand why people were arguing. It's, like, what I was interested in is fucking doing this competition and fucking slaying and doing a great job and not get distracted by people with, you know, stupid you know criticisms. Yeah. Which is just like, you know, posturing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, but I didn't have a strategy to of what to do during this time. Mm-hmm. You know, people were arguing back and forth and whatever. I was like, what's my strategy going to be? Because I wasn't in the drama, I wasn't on TV. Yeah. And I think that is a, a big... Um, mm, moving factor to a lot of people on these shows it's like mm-hmm. if you don't do the drama you don't get every airtime mm-hmm. so you it's not that they're people being goaded into uh doing drama um actually they are but it's mm-hmm. also that you want to be part of that drama because yeah. you get eyeballs mm-hmm. you get on the show you get to be a character of the show mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. so but with me it was just like you know i just Want to fucking do my makeup and do make my dress and get out there and do my concept and everything, mm-hmm. and I luckily later on I realized oh you got to do more, you have to do more you have to step out and take some chances and and um, you know be a little more out there and I did get more comfy luckily and I had a, a real good time.
0: Yeah, that would be really tough for me because <clears throat> face off, like I just had to go there and do my art. they really didn't focus on the drama at all. That wasn't the point of the show. They actually like kind of discouraged drama. Um, But to to have to be in that same stressful scenario and also like deal with and also like be in an environment where that's actually encouraged Mm -hmm. would be really tough for me because like I'm just like you. It's like, you know, I'm here to just create and like I think everybody's doing great things because we're all here doing this Mm -hmm. thing, you know, like but it would be it would be almost excruciating for me to have to Find myself and who I was and how I was going to navigate that situation. Because you're right, you don't want to be overlooked, but it's like, do you really want to like jump into this like cat catfight stuff? Yeah, I know. you know? It's like, <clears throat> and like, I'm
1: not, you know, it's, <throat> also, I'm not experienced as a cat fighter. Mm-hmm. I don't do drama. Yeah. I think it's because, you know, I've gone through sort of like different parts of my life and I'm a little older than, you know, a lot older. Okay, okay, I'm a lot older, all right? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Then the other queens and kings and stuff like that. So I I, I went through. I faced a lot of my demons, kiss them on the cheek, and sent them on their way. So I didn't need to go into that situation. Mm-hmm. But um, so I was like, but you know, I I should have been more aware.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I think though, like you had, like your. Your journey through the show I think it all culminated in that beautiful moment where you were basically like telling them like you know I'm just here to it's basically what you're saying like I'm here to just like rock this shit out and because guys sort of just like need to get over your bullshit like I was right. like, that was an amazing moment I was like probably like highlight of the season for me because that was because you know you may not have been featured in the drama throughout the season but like it paints a picture of who you are and then it all came to that culmination where you got to say that Mm -hmm. and it was like it's a good look you know because it also reflects on who you are Mm -hmm. so you know i i my problem with when i tried to get on season two of face off i tried to be somebody i wasn't i tried to play up what i thought they wanted and i didn't get on the show and then it was almost like your your moment in the garage of the the, or that basement Mm -hmm. like well fuck it you know what i'm just fucking do what i want you know Mm -hmm. and like once i dropped trying to filter myself through other expectations that's when i truly like found who i was Mm -hmm. and and that's like a powerful thing to find who you are
1: yeah i know it's so it's so rewarding Mm -hmm.
0: so do i mean do you looking back on it do you Do you wish you would have had a better strategy? Like, would you have wanted to get into the drama more or?
1: I think because I was a baby queen and I didn't do a lot of performing before, uh, that was definitely a detriment to me on Mm -hmm. the show. It was not an asset for sure because, you know, doing the live performing in clubs and everything, it's not just... Performing, but it's also the social thing, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, jabbing and gabbing with people and and talking with people, you know, having a nice tasty drink and talking about this or that. And and also getting into these, like, fucked up situations with, like, people backstage and stuff like that, you know. It's Mm -hmm. like I didn't have that sort of experience with that either. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, that was something that would have been, I think, aided me is to have, like, fucked up weird situations with these, like, drunk ass queens yelling at each other backstage (laughs) but I didn't have it because I didn't do enough performing
0: uh huh well I mean now like knowing how you were as a kid too like I think like was that was your clamminess kind of like kicking in too being there
1: Uh, it was just I was trying at the time I was like listening to what everybody was saying like how do I interject here Mm -hmm. what do I say I mean the only thing I could think of saying were complete non sequiturs (laughs) it's like stupid you know the stupid things that you know as it would say, or just like, you know, it's just offhand comments or whatnot. And when you do that, when you sort of jump in and say stupid stuff like that, you become the scapegoat. Yeah. Or if you, like, you know, if you're not really part of it and you say this and that, people will jump on you because, you know, they they you're not you're not part of it you're like an outsider mm-hmm. they see you as an outsider
0: yeah it's it's mm-hmm. a real uh dangerous game to play kind of if you want to jump in that drama because like you might get more screen time but honestly it could have ruined your entire experience of the that's show that's true it could have
1: know? ruined your experience and it could have ruined <clears throat> your career
0: yeah yeah because uh people form opinions of you like just based on what they see mm-hmm. and <clears throat> some people like it's it's a tough tough call like when people try to especially in the drag scene the <clears throat> the drag villains People like, love to hate them. Mm-hmm. But it's like, do you really want to be that person that people love to hate? Right. <laughs> you know, it's right.
1: Like... You know the, the people who are have that strategy is like, you know, I'm going to be a bitch and, and this sort of thing. They don't really, you notice on Repulsed Drag Race, they don't win. Yeah. They get to the top, but they don't, they're not the, you know, they're, they're sort of a low, uh, rung below the top. They mm-hmm. get to the finals, but they don't win mm-hmm. because people don't really like it. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, they're, they're essentially the heel, like yeah. in wrestling. It's like the, there's the thing where you have the the hero and then you have the heel, and it's like that that dynamic is important for story and for conflict and like t- for things to be interesting. But you know, it's being that person, like that, like being on a reality show. You you are essentially yeah, you're playing a drag character, but you're still yourself. Mm-hmm. So whatever you do on that show is going to follow you after that. It's not like you are just playing a character. In, in a movie or something, you know, mm-hmm. and then like all of everyone's projections are projected on that character and not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like a this is part of who you are, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah,
1: it's really dicey. It's really dangerous. And <clears throat> people who get on, you know, we're talking a lot about the about this, but maybe we should wait a little bit on it because we want you want to do that show. OK, yeah, we want to yeah, do a can. particular show about yeah, it.
0: That's true. Yeah, we can. Uh, so we're going to do it because we talked to Ave about it and uh, we want to do a three person talk where we're just all discussing our our um, experiences on reality shows and stuff and so we'll, 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 there's, there's a little taste for you we'll, there you we'll,
1: go a little a promo a little we'll do a a preview deep
0: dive into mm-hmm. that uh on the other episode but so what uh what's like a, you got a funny crazy story to lay on us from dragula like something behind the scenes that we didn't get to see or... um,
1: <clears throat> funny crazy i don't know it was um
0: or if not a story, what was your what was your favorite part and like what did you take away from the experience? How about let's do that.
1: Well, I took away from the experience that um, um, I did it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I thought through the whole thing that I would be because I was like a baby queen. I I might have been you know uh, confident about being on a on a reality show, but I was not really. Didn't know if I was on par with the, the other performers and the other personalities and stuff, and I realized, oh, I I definitely am, and I mm-hmm. could have won that. If I think if I had more experience, I could have won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, you know, the once the show started airing, I realized, wow, this really has such a huge effect. I mean, I consider myself micro famous, but it was like just just the you know the love that I got from it was like. A revelation. It was like, wow, people really care about this sort of thing, and that was so so good. And um, I don't know. I guess my takeaway is just like, I can fucking do this. I I proved it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my pantyhose and go out and slay. <laughs> Nobody's gonna do better than me. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you know, the you find that the show really helped solidify you. Your belief that you're on the right path with disaster. Arena.
1: Yes, yeah. I think that. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you said that because I, for some reason, can't. I, I it's not in there. <laughs> well, whatever, it's I can't figure so. it out. Yeah. <laughs> Being on the show was good. That's what I brought you, and you're like, oh, sort of all the nuances. Oh, Thank you, Sig. <laughs> Sounds so smart.
0: So, uh, post Dracula, what have you been up to?
1: Well, it's a big, big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Because I got on the show. I had the balls to make a pilot of a something that started out as a Cold Sluts on Fire skit. And that I uh, decided, you know, I'm going to take this skit and turn it into a TV show. And the first thing I have to do is a pilot for it. Mm -hmm. And I actually had tried to shoot it earlier, and it failed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll try it again, because now I have an in to out TV I can show it to somebody out TV mm-hmm. and um, so I did a little vignette called Sado Psychiatrist and it is about a um, serial killer played by Disasterina who is a psychiatrist and she has all these sort of crazy evil cohorts that are her enablers <laughs> and she lures people into her lair through ads put in smutty magazines, and uh, she captures people, tortures them, and kills them. And it's a comedy. <laughs> and uh, I made this uh, pilot, and I sat on it a while, but I sent it to this person, I sent it to that person. And I was like, I was about to give up, but then I decided to like just make sure everybody at out TV saw it. So I yelled at <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed. I yelled at somebody there through email. I was like, yeah, blah, 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 you're not gonna do, you can to show this to some people over there. And they did. And um, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, you know who you are. <laughs> and it got to the right eyeballs. And one of the ex- executive producers over there was like, oh my God, this is like exactly my humor. And lo and behold, uh, LTV gave us money to do an entire series, yeah. so we did six shows, which I have just handed off to uh, final for final color, and that's sort of that's in the process. Mm-hmm. And mm, we don't have official release date yet, but it should be mm, late February, early March, something like that. Mm-hmm. Keep your elbows peeled to LTV, and. Um, it's a half-hour comedy show. It's sort of a very zany, sort of trashy, very John Waters-influenced. Influenced. Mm-hmm. influenced Influenzased. <laughs> and uh, it's fucking awesome. And guess what? What? Sig Neutron is an actor in one of the episodes.
0: He is indeed. He is indeed. And also, he lends his uh, makeup services That's to right. uh, a couple, couple episodes.
1: Sig, you are so good to be our main... Our only effects person, well, there was somebody else who did a tiny little bit of thing. But you were there on set oh, most of the days huh? and, um, you know, doing prosthetics and doing all sorts of crazy characters and and uh, crazy sculptures and disgusting things oh, yeah. and making people look dead. Yeah. You're really good at making people look dead. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it fucking turned out so good it's Absolutely. ridiculously good
0: yeah you guys uh, like oops oh, seriously uh be excited for this because it i i feel like at least what i've been able to find i don't feel like anybody's really pushing the john waters niche mm-hmm. of you know like mondo trash cinema and it's like this hits every every note that you want out of that genre and it's like i was i was honored to be a part of it and like i it's <clears throat> It's just obvious, like the more I live my life and the more that we all grow as artists, it's just it's obvious that like to me, and you can believe what you want, but like you know there there are no coincidences, and it's obvious there are reasons why we know each other, mm-hmm. and it's because like and it in the more we develop as artists individually and the things we do collectively uh just keeps proving that more and more because I mean like just everything that you do is like so like. Just, I love it. And it just fits with anything that I want to do. And it's, I'm just excited to, like, we, we really, we need to start. I, I say this, like, I feel like I say it every year, but it's like, we got to start collaborating more. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, cause that was, working together on the show was, like, really great. And I think we can create so much more just trashy, weird shit. Oh, my God.
1: This, that, this is just the tip of the trash iceberg. This yeah. show. I mean, this show is just fucking balls out crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um, just everything about it is good. I mean, it's just fucking hilarious. It's like, you know, it has Bitch pudding in it. It has Clit Eatswood. has Foxy Edgeway. um, has Sean Forrester. And Ave Rose as main cast. And that's a fucking blockbuster cast. And that's... That's nothing. And then in every episode, we have like a special guest star. And we will, you know, let you know who they are. Probably like a... A week or so before, maybe a couple weeks before the episode. I don't know. We'll figure out how to do the promo, <laughs> whatever. But um, really important people are going to be in there that you're going to love. Mm-hmm.
0: I think what's really cool, too, talking about like the alchemical process and the transformation of artists is that it's cool because I saw all of all of your experimentation pre-disaster arena, I saw little nuggets of that make its way into the show. So it's like, again, that's kind of what I was talking about. It's like you take all the good parts of all your experiments and then you put them into something like Mm -hmm. really magical. You
1: know, we had been brewing this thing for a while now. We didn't, I guess I didn't realize until we actually started filming. It's like, you know, I've been doing comedy videos for years and years. Uh, I've been doing drag for years. And um, I've been, you know, writing for years and, you know, Disasterina, the crazy videos I do on YouTube and stuff like that, it's not just off the cuff. I'm not really that great at improv. Mm. It's like, I, I i got scripts. I mm. write scripts and everything. So I you know, had lots of experience doing that, and it came out real good. And, you know, the the whole series is written by me and by Ave. Mm-hmm. We were writing partners through the entire thing. The only thing that's sort of just me is the like the beginning of the first episode, which is part of the pilot. Mm-hmm. But everything else is like, we totally co-wrote this shit, and yeah. uh, it turned out so good.
0: Yeah, I th- you guys make a great like writing team. It's like I, I can see how you guys balance each other out and it's, And it's just the product is great, man. I, I'm really excited, and yeah, you guys, uh, you guys are in for a real treat. Man. And it's going
1: to be available on Amazon Prime Video. Mm -hmm. So anybody, it's going, well, LTV goes to Canada. It goes to South Africa. It goes to Australia, New Zealand, India. And maybe I'm forgetting something. As a channel, but then as, um, as if, uh, you can download it from Amazon Prime Video in the U.S. and in the U.K. Mm. So there's plenty of opportunity to get this. Mm -hmm. And you should have no problem seeing it.
0: I want to talk about, um, I think something that you do that's really cool, like, because you got, I feel like you started this before a lot of queens did, but it's like, you make your own music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you started doing that, I feel like you were a little bit ahead of the curve in the drag scene there, because now it's like, okay, if you're a RuPaul queen, you've got like, you're trying to top the charts on iTunes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like back when you started, that it, it didn't seem to be like the, the, the case, you
1: know? Well, the, I was, had been doing music for years and years. I'd been in bands in the past and everything. And I knew how to do electronic music, you know, on the computer and everything. So, you know, when I started doing drag, I just... The thing about me as an artist is like, I... I, It's not just I want to be unique, I have to be unique. If I'm not distinctive, it hurts. There's something, it's like my physiology. Hurts. Mm-hmm. I can't copy people. Mm-hmm. I have to have it all my own original. Everything mm-hmm. that is sort of like my obsession. Mm-hmm. So I was like, when I started doing performing, I was like, well, you know, I, I guess I could just do lip sync, but um, why don't I just create my own songs? Mm-hmm. So I just started doing that, and um, and also it's not just that I wanted to do my own songs, but it's also you know I noticed seeing drag shows and and stuff you have to have the right voice and i mean that like literally and figuratively you know when drag performers go up and do the lip sync sometimes it's obviously not the real voice it's not the right voice technically speaking mm-hmm. but it can be the real voice in sort of the feel of the of the song and everything like that mm-hmm. you know lip sync it doesn't look like they're singing it because not that they're not getting every word right and perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just that it doesn't seem like that person is truly singing that. Right. And that's not a real problem for most people, but as me, as an artist, that is. Mm-hmm. I think it's not a problem for like 99.9% of people, but for me it's like, you know, I'd rather they, you know, or you know, somehow they do their own version of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um... And, um... I thought, well, I just I just need to do my own songs. But I didn't want to do it live because doing it live means that you need a sound check at like 4 p.m. Yeah. And there's no fucking way I'm going down there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and it was so much easier just doing it to a recording. And so I did my own songs and I did lip, syn- lip syncs poorly to my own songs. <laughs> but you could sort of feel, I hope, that it was my own you know, in quotes, voice Yeah. when I was doing lip sync.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it makes it for such a more magical experience, like watching you perform. It's like, I would, yeah, I would totally much rather see somebody perform their own song than just mm-hmm. lip sync a song that, you know, we've all heard a thousand times, right. you know.
1: But some, there was a James... Uh, um, James Mansfield I was trying to make of name so stupid I was like thinking James uh, Majesty but James Mansfield a great queen who is on a, a repose drag race I've seen her show n- numerous times and she does something really interesting which she'll she'll do a medley of songs but any you know, popular songs mm-hmm. but she does it in her literally in her own voice hmm. she has you know recorded these songs with oh, her own voice in there so nice. it's like you know doing a popular song I think it's sort of the best of both worlds to give people what they want with these popular songs that are popular in the scene. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can see that this person is projecting their own voice Mm -hmm. to this piece of music, which I thought was really brilliant. Mm -hmm.
0: And see, and that's another, uh, you know, you brought your musical influences into this character and it's like, that's what the journey of the artist. I always encourage people to experiment with different mediums and see what you like, because like you're, you're a, you're accumulating tools for a toolkit that eventually will become who you are as an artist. You know, like when when you blossom into uh, your truest form of whatever you become to be. Like it's gonna involve all of those things that you've picked up from experimenting and failing and and all of these things. And um, and I think like your makeup is is a part of that too. Is like you you the the style that you use for your makeup is very. I see the lines that you like similar to the lines that you do in your paintings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that... Did you immediately start doing that? Or was that something you had to figure out?
1: It's something I had to figure out because when I first started doing drag, I hired people to do my makeup. Mm-hmm. Just like Willem. Mm-hmm. And, um... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think...
0: Well... A good, a good there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe she'd do her own makeup these days. Not sure. But anyway. <laughs> um, but there, I, I didn't know how to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like a... a like a gothic type person. So I did, you know, guyliner and whatnot, but I didn't do any fucking shading or anything like that. I was like, how do I... I don't know how to do this. And then Ave did my makeup sometimes. And it was like, it just seemed like a completely, utterly new thing to learn. Mm-hmm. And when I first started doing it myself, it was sort of at like a, um, just beyond trashy it was just like sort of like you know finger painting on my face Mm -hmm. I had no idea what to do I was just like I'll get this junk on my face and just see if I can make some shapes and see if it works didn't work but I learned to sort of get a style going and I noticed that it I don't know what came first the the paintings as disasterina or the makeup as disasterina because my paintings I do a lot of like portraits of drag queens and stuff, mm-hmm. and I use the same exact brushes that I use on my face to do my makeup. Nice. So I'm basically doing a painting of a drag portrait on my face every time I do makeup. Mm.
0: And it did, I think you told me once like you never have the same makeup one, like twice.
1: It's really annoying. You know, the one thing that I really hated about um, Sato Psychiatrist was that I had to do my makeup more than once. Uh. Yep. I was like, okay, different days we, we'd we have different shoots for the same episode. So I was like, oh, i got to take a picture of this fucking makeup. I have to do exactly the fucking same every time. I and I did, you know, I did okay. I don't think you can notice that much. But that just, oh, it just kills me. I can't do it. Yeah. So I have certain characters as Disasterine and I do. I do like a Fling character that, you know, I did for Dungeon Queens. We did for your show. Yeah. And, uh... I was a tiefling every time, but I did my makeup slightly differently every time. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of fun doing the makeup because I r- realized, well, I know sort of how to do it, but now I can do a little bit different here, a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I think as part of the, the free, trashy nature of being disaster and it's like, I don't have to worry so much about having everything perfect. Mm-hmm. As an artist, I was complete, utter perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And as a perfectionist, that stops you from creating mm-hmm. because you don't want to start doing something if it's not going to be perfect yeah i can't finish this painting it's not gonna be perfect i can't do this it's not gonna be perfect oh i had this idea for a performance art it's not gonna be perfect so not even do it at all but with disaster, you know, it's like fuck it just show me show me some really cheap uh, you know cosmetics and I'll, I'll go for it
0: yeah i always say it's like you can spend your whole life working on one masterpiece or you can, uh, you know, spend every day making a whole like amazing body of work. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is. That's the the, the trap of perfection. It's 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 a it's a, not, it's a lie. Don't fall. It's for it. It's a hope, you know? a dream,
1: <laughs> an illusion.
0: Yeah. There there is no such thing as perfection. It is is perfection. I think is completely subjective. Just mm-hmm. like the nature of our reality. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to plug? You got anything coming up?
1: Hmm. I just have been working so hard on this show, and I am so glad that it's out of literally out of my physical hands. It mm-hmm. is to somebody else's uh, eyeballs and hands at this point. Um, that's oh well. There's something happening on the uh, on the weekend. You know, uh, Ave and I are doing uh, the Oddities and Curiosity Show at the Del Mar Fairgrounds in San Diego. So come see us, please. Which day? Uh, Saturday. It's just one day, and on Saturday. That'd be Saturday the mm, is it eighteenth?
0: I will look up the date
1: right now. It is Saturday the 18th, yes. Okay. Oh, also really important, I'm doing the AIDS life cycle, mm-hmm. which is a bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. 545 miles. Holy shit. I'm going to do it in full drag. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. It's gonna You know, it's going to take a whole week, and um, I, uh, I want people to sponsor me because... The money goes toward the uh, San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Los Angeles LGBT um, Center and for, you know, uh, for people with AIDS to help them with their um, you know, medical problems and their lives and everything like that. It's a really super good cause, so please sponsor me and donate. And the URL is tofighthiv.org forward slash go to forward slash disaster. Now I'll say it one more time. To Fight H I V or one word. Dot org forward slash G O T O forward slash disasterina. Look up how to spell disasterina? I'm not sure. <laughs> I have to use spell check.
0: <laughs> I will put that also, uh, for the listeners, I'll put that in the show notes in the description. Uh, oh, the thank link. you so much. So you can just uh, click on it there. Um, man, that's so cool. That's,
1: yeah. Um, Brent, gonna, like, Brent, document it? Brent Bailey, our, um, uh, director of photography our cinematographer for the show um, did it last year and uh, they did a drag show with all the people from the teams uh, which I went to see and I was really inspired to do it and I was like oh, I gotta get in on this thing and I thought it'd be super duper fun and also forced me to get in shape which mm-hmm. I really do need to get rid of this pot belly mm-hmm. and then I was like oh i fucking join up and it's gonna be so fun so what <laughs> so I'm, I'm on my team is the psychopaths right. the psychopaths uh, i love it baron say is the is the queen of the Thanks. of that group and i'm excited to so i to do i just got a bike and i need to train and i'm gonna have to Ooh, it's gonna hurt but yeah. i'm gonna do it
0: yeah i do that's that's awesome man that's that's really cool, really cool cause. So yeah, if you guys are able, definitely go sponsor Disasterina for that, and or donate. Right? I'm sure yes, to sponsor but... is to donate. That's yeah.
1: basically what that means. Cool. Uh, you got anything else coming up? Is that? Hmm. I just gotta fucking get. Oh my god, I'm so fucking broke. <laughs> I've been like sitting there doing this this uh, this show. Oh, so so much work. Um, and now I'm completely, not completely, but I'm sort of like out of the, uh, I'm not, I don't have to crunch on it anymore. And now I'm completely utterly broke. So if you want to go to my website and, and uh, buy some painting or something that would be wonderful, call slutsonfire.com. We'll go right to my Etsy. I would really appreciate it.
0: Definitely. And it's one. I love Disasterina's artwork, so definitely pick up something. Oh, support.
1: Also, I'm desperate to uh, go and perform, so people out there in the world and you know, just call me out. To, you know, I'm very easy to, to get a hold of, all right? I'll go to your po downtown <laughs> and I'll hang out with your freaky friends and whatever. And i you know, as long as you give me the, the ducats, you know, the dinero, I'll do it. Come on.
0: You heard it here first. Seriously, though, if you, any of our listeners anywhere, like, across the world, like, I got listeners from all over the place. So, if you uh, are fans of Disaster Arena is willing to travel. So, hit a bitch up.
1: And to, you know, I'm just joking there. I utterly love going to these places and hanging out with these wonderful people. It's, it's really fun because, you know, a lot of those shows I get are just from queer groups, like, putting together, like, a show in the old barn. And, you know, the, uh, you know the, the shower curtain is is like the, you know, the, the curtain for the stage and everything. It's like, nice. it's a, a, a lot of queer people just getting together and pooling re- their resources, making their own scenes. And that's like yeah. really invigorating and inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. So I uh, thank you so much for everybody who has uh, had me come to their town uh, before. And let's keep it going.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to what we said earlier. It's like really important that you find your tribe in those little pockets of... Just close-mindedness.
1: You know, I gotta say one more thing is like yeah. Dracula. I know it's it was. I think it was a trend in society before Dracula. But people in their little town, wherever it was, little town, big town, are coalescing. They're getting together. They're DIYing it. They are creating their own scenes. Mm-hmm. They are creating the sort of like the place that they want to be, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's like the social. It's all like. A, Is it a social movement? I'm not sure. I don't know exactly. I would say so. Yeah. But it's like it seems now, wherever I go, whatever I get, you know, when I get a show, it's not really sort of like the well-established, you know, uh, gay clubs doing a drag night or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't seem to get any of those things. But I get tons of these, like, these little DIY guys Mm. putting together, like, a... Kind of like a queer cabaret show, all sorts of different performers. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, sometimes there's like you know, it's like kings and queens, and sometimes it's like exotic performers or just comedy acts or like cabaret or whatever. It's just like this smorgasbord of like interesting queer folk. Mm-hmm. Love it. Keep it going.
0: Yeah, and I that goes for um, you know, not even just the queer community, but the artistic community too. Like, do you like? That's a good message. Like, if you got if you're in an area that there's no scene, there's no culture, like create your own, Mm -hmm. get your friends together and yeah, put on shows because I guarantee you, there are so many kids that you may not even know or young people that you may not even know that need something because Mm -hmm. we all need like a creative outlet and we need uh, places where we can be ourselves. So Mm -hmm. you, each and every one of you guys listening to this has the power to create your own scene and your own Haven for you and others to be yourself.
1: Couldn't agree more. (laughs)
0: So where can everybody find you online?
1: I'm really easy to find online. Just just I my name is a, the, a feminized version of disaster, <laughs> disasterina. I got disasterina.com. I got disasterina on IG. Um, everywhere else, just search me it's on Twitter. I, I think it's called Slots on Fire. Um, You know, it's I'm easy to find. I'm so easy to find.
0: Do so you mainly uh, use like Instagram?
1: You know, YouTube is really important for me because I do a show, all sorts of shows and funny videos and stuff. Hmm. That's really my main gig is video. So go onto YouTube, search Disasterina, find my channel. It's just youtube.com forward slash Disasterina. Real easy to find.
0: There you go. So if you want all things Disasterina, definitely uh, go
1: subscribe to the YouTube. I got like 100 videos on there and they're all funny.
0: They are. They are indeed. I've yet to watch them all. I need to get on
1: that. Get on it's like you know, just put that, put it on, and just like smoke a doob and just watch that <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh man,
0: well, thank you so much. This is this is great. Like I feel like it, I love what we talked about. It was great. But I feel like there's just so much more that we could like. I
1: know. Into. I feel like I really did have to stop when we were going deep into the reality tv thing because i could go on for hours and hours yeah and and
0: sh- i think that'll be a great conversation to have with mm-hmm. Ave around too because i i'm i'm curious to see how each of our experiences are completely different because like i was on a season seven of a show that was like well-oiled machine Ave was on a season one of a show that was just starting and mm-hmm. then you were on a season two of a show and it's they they all of these shows go through different uh, transformations as they try to find what they are, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it'll be interesting to hear all of our joint experiences and right. bounce that off each other.
1: So, when is Randy going to get on a, a reality TV show? I know,
0: I'm telling her to get on Master <laughs> Chef, dude. Like, I, like, no joke. Like, I literally keep telling her she should go on Master Chef because she is like a damn good cook. Mm-hmm. So,
1: <laughs> don't worry, Randy, we'll get you on those shows. <laughs>
0: Uh, well definitely guys check out Arena everywhere you what can what about Lawrence
1: huh <laughs> right Lawrence's <laughs> gotta get on those shows too
0: it's true I mean we are we are a family of creative weirdos that most of us have been on reality television <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean where is our lives gonna go from here I don't know but I'm fucking looking forward to it
1: mm-hmm. it's the kooky thing about living in LA
0: yep I wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> alright thanks a
1: lot Thank you. Love you so much.